Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Sunday, February the 13th. 2022 Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, back with you here on the program. A lot to get into on today's show. We're going to talk some Alabama men's basketball following the Crimson Tide's big win over the Arkansas Razorbacks Saturday at Coleman Coliseum. And we'll also rejoin our series of ranking position rooms for Nick Saban National Championship teams at the University of Alabama. And of course, it is also a Super Bowl Sunday. And when I was thinking about L.A. area Super Bowls, been pretty good to Alabama quarterbacks of the past. Think about Bart Starr with the Green Bay Packers in Super Bowl One, or as it was known back then, as the AFL-NFL World Championship game. Bart Starr, all he did in those first two Super Bowls is take home MVP honors. And then about a decade later in the L.A. area, you had Ken Stabler and the Oakland Raiders taking out the Minnesota Vikings quarterbacked by Fran Tarkenton. couple of good wins for Alabama guys, I'd say. In pro football's biggest game there in the L.A. area. And of course, Joe Namath, Super Bowl three MVP down in Miami. So when you look at Super Bowl MVPs for the first three games, Bart Starr in one and two MVP, Alabama guy. And of course, Joe Willie Namath, MVP of Super Bowl three. No Alabama quarterbacks in this one on Sunday evening at SoFi Stadium. Going to have some SEC guys, though. Matthew Stafford, Georgia alum for the L.A. Rams, and, of course, Joe Burrow, speaking of Joes, Joe Burrow, the LSU product by way of Ohio State for the Cincinnati Bengals. We talked about this game earlier in the week with Charlie Potter here on the podcast. I'm not in love with it, but I picked the Rams. It just seems like it has to be the Rams. Although if there's a team right now that I wouldn't want to pick against, it would absolutely be the Cincinnati Bengals because the whole not playing at home thing doesn't seem to apply to Joe Burrow and the Bengals. And they've got the pieces needed. You know, Matthew Stafford can be a little bit scattershot from time to time. So we'll see. But I think it'll be a great game. I'm really looking forward to it for someone who never has to look forward to his favorite team playing in this game, that, of course, being the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I'm just all for a good matchup. I think we're going to have that on Sunday evening. I'll tell you what I am in love with. I'm not in love with my Super Bowl pick. I'm in love with my Super Bowl spread. I'm going traditional Italian, all right? Going traditional Italian, just a simple spaghetti dinner. 
with the fixins. That's going to be the plan for Casa de Ryer. Before the Super Bowl, I'm going to watch some Alabama women's hoops. Alabama hosts Kentucky at Coleman at 1 p.m. Central on Sunday. Going to watch some pro golf on the cable. You got the WM Phoenix Open out there in Scottsdale. And speaking of Arizona, you got Alabama softball out in Tucson wrapping up the Candrea Classic with a game on Sunday against New Mexico. Having just made that trip out there to Arizona, I've been to Scottsdale, been in that area where the Phoenix Open takes place, played some golf out there. I recently was in Tucson. I like Tucson. I'm more of a Tucson guy. Just seems a little bit more laid back than Scottsdale, Phoenix, and uh, Las Palomas. If you ever get a chance and you make that trip down to the Catalina foothills in the Tucson area, tee it up at Las Palomas. Jack Nicholas, 27-hole setup there. Outstanding, outstanding golf. Speaking of hoops, let's get into some Alabama men's basketball following the Crimson Tide's 68-67 win over the Arkansas Razorbacks. Brunch with Bama Saturday at Coleman Coliseum. Arkansas coming in, winners of nine in a row, including their last time out, an upset of number one Auburn at Bud Walton Arena in Fayetteville on Tuesday night. What we'll do is we'll go through the game by revisiting three predictions I had for Arkansas-Alabama on Friday there at BamaOnline.com. And we'll start with our first one, which was J.D. Note will post back-to-back 20-point games for the first time this season. Note came in as the SEC's leading scorer at 19.1 points per game, but he ran into some early foul trouble on Saturday. That led to him taking the bagel from a scoring perspective in the first half of Saturday's game, but he had 12 in the second half, including eight points in the final five minutes to put Arkansas in position to win Post was an issue for much of the game for Alabama as Jalen Williams for Arkansas, 6'10", 240 pounds, goes for a double-double, 23-10. Alabama in the game, plus nine in turnovers, nine more turnovers in the game than Arkansas, and minus 10 in offensive rebounding. You don't usually survive those kind of deficits, But late-game heroics from Noah Gurley in the post and a deflection post shot for Arkansas that went Alabama's way allowed the Crimson Tide to escape with its sixth SEC win of the season. Now 6-6 in SEC play is Alabama. That's the good news. The bad news, the manner in which Alabama finished the game with an emphasis on the final 10 minutes or so, You can't be as unconfident and are indecisive on the ball as Alabama was and sustain much of a run in any type of postseason scenario. That's just the bottom line. Yes, a lot of things illustrated those type of issues, but I thought Javon Quinterly's free throw miss with Alabama up one and under five seconds to go provided a crystal clear glimpse into where he's at with his shot right now. And it's okay if the shot's not going. But the turnovers, when you've got your top three ball handlers, your primary ball handlers uh, commit 16 turnovers between them, that's just not 
uh, a winning stat. And that's understanding, you know, some of those turnovers for Alabama came on some questionable charge calls. But, yeah, worrisome when you think about the big-picture prospects for this team. But, right, as I said earlier, not how. It's not how. It's how many. And if you're Alabama, you'll take another quad one win and keep it moving. Now, second prediction I had for the game, neither team will shoot 35% or better from three-point range. Alabama actually in the first half Saturday, 6 of 16, so not bad but only one of 13 in the second half to finish at 24% for the game. Fifth home SEC game for Alabama this season in which it has made fewer than 25% of its threes. Fortunately for Alabama, Arkansas just 6 of 21 from three. Arkansas came into the game as the 13th ranked three-point shooting team in the SEC. So this this wasn't Todd Day. And the 1994 Hogs that were at Coleman Coliseum on Saturday. Five of Arkansas's six threes in the game did come in the second half with Amude, Stanley Amude, and Note accounting for four of those. Free throws thought might be a big part of this game. Alabama finished plus four on seven more attempts than Arkansas. And even with the disparity on the offensive glass with Arkansas really dominating in that area of the game, Arkansas only had a two-point edge where second-chance scoring was concerned. So Alabama got through that issue relatively unscathed. The final prediction I had for Arkansas-Alabama on Saturday, Arkansas coach Eric Musselman will keep his shirt on after this one. Now, with all the charge block calls that we had I thought that maybe either Musselman and Ornate Oates might come unglued if not unclothed throughout the course of the game I wouldn't say Alabama exuded a lot of confidence in the win but it has been through more wars than has Arkansas from a schedule perspective so maybe the Crimson Tide in some form or fashion was able to draw on that I didn't think there'd be the wide margin in this one like there was in the two meetings a year ago when Alabama won by 31 in Tuscaloosa before Arkansas won by 15 in Fayetteville. And we had a one-point game, and Arkansas had a heave to win the game from half court there at the buzzer. Ultimately, it came down to a complimentary player needing to step forward, and Noah Gurley did that. Good for him. And I also liked, by the way, the way Noah Gurley competed on the defensive end during some stretches where he was really put in some tough situations based on matchups. I think when you're talking about upper echelon, power five basketball, Noah Gurley coming from the Southern Conference and Furman, yes, you can stretch him to the four, but in some of these lineups, he's being asked to play the five. And you you look at Noah Gurley, and by SEC standards, in terms of physical attributes, he looks more like a three. So kudos to Noah Gurley for competing exceptionally hard. Didn't always get a lot of help, especially where weak side rebounding, things like that. We're concerned loose ball situations, but like the way Noah Gurley played from start to finish. So for Alabama coming up next, it's Mississippi State in a return date with the Bulldogs. Of course, Mississippi State took the first meeting between the Crimson Tide and the Bullies, that one in Starkville. Now, 
They'll get it on in Tuscaloosa Wednesday night. That game will air either on ESPNU or ESPN2. That's a 6 p.m. Central tip on Wednesday night. Alabama looking to replace one of those early grades from the first half or so of SEC play when the Crimson Tide fell to the Bulldogs. All right, so let's get back into ranking position rooms for Alabama National Championship teams under Nick Saban. Today we're going to do wide receivers. We've already given you safeties. We've given you quarterbacks. We've given you inside linebackers. We have given you running backs. Today it is the wide receiver rooms for national title teams under Nick Saban at the University of Alabama. We'll get things going in the sixth spot with the 2011 group. Marquise Mays, Darius Hanks headlining that 2011 room. Of course, Julio Jones was a three and out, leaving UA after the previous season in 2010. He had 16 touchdown passes for First-year starter A.J. McCarron back in 2011. Of that total, nine went to running backs and tight ends. Not a big yards per catch group either, despite the fact that Trent Richardson was very much the focal point for opposing defenses. Not a lot in terms of explosive plays. You did have Darius Hanks uh, do some nice things, complimenting uh, Marquise Mays, 26 catches for 328 yards and a touchdown. Probably as much as anything, Marquise as a punt returner, a kick returner, uh, very effective during his time. He led Alabama in 2011 with 56 catches for 627 yards, just one touchdown. As much as anything, I'll remember the 2011 group for Kevin Norwood coming off the bench for an injured maze in the national championship game against LSU in Nolens and catching four passes for 78 yards with at least a few of those, right? Coming at the expense of Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger, back in 2011. Some of those corner routes from A.J. McCarron to a leaping Kevin Norwood, as I recall it. So we'll get things going in the six hole with 2011. At number five, I'm going to go 2009, Julio Jones in his second year with the Crimson Tide. Really, from a statistical standpoint, a low watermark for Julio Jones. Really a sandwich year between a couple of really big years for Julio Jones during his three seasons with the Crimson Tide. 43 catches for Julio in 2009 for 596 yards, four touchdowns, had just one 100-yard game. Now, had some issues with the quarterback position. Greg McElroy transitioning in his first year as the starter, as the successor to John Parker Wilson. A little bit of a desert that the passing game passed through there uh, during about the middle, kind of what, October. Going from kind of through Tennessee, through South Carolina, Tennessee, even into LSU. You had some real problems with the passing game in 2009. But Julio did have the 102-yard performance against LSU with most of that coming on a smokescreen, as you'll recall, for a big touchdown in the win over the Tigers. Marquise Mays in 2009, 31 catches for 523 yards and two touchdowns. Marquise in that SEC championship game win over the Florida Gators, very effective. Five catches for 96 yards against the Gators. 
you know, you had Mark Ingram that was very prolific as a receiver in his Heisman Trophy winning campaign. He was the only other player besides Julio or Marquise Mays to catch 30 or more passes back in 2009. You also had Colin Peake at the tight end position. The Georgia Tech transfer. I'm sure we'll talk about Colin a little more in depth when we do the tight end rooms for national championship teams in the Nick Saban era. But you also had Darius Hanks in that rotation, Mike McCoy. So 2009 will go at number five. Number four, 2012. The arrival of Amari Cooper, who really turned it on about a month or so into the 2012 season on his way to catching 58 passes for 999 yards and 11 touchdowns. Kevin Norwood, kind of a springboard performance against LSU in the aforementioned national championship win over LSU. 29 catches, 461 yards in 2012. Uh, Kenny Bell averaged 25.4 yards per catch the speedster from louisiana kenny bell on 17 grabs he had three touchdowns christian jones 27 catches 368 yards and four scores the backs and tight ends once again you know similar to what we talked about with 2011 very much a part of that 2012 offense you had Eddie Lacy, TJ Yeldon out of the backfield, Michael Williams at the tight end position. Those three guys combined to catch 57 passes back in 2012. And I'd say if there was a signature moment for the 2012 passing attack that year, it was the deep ball from A.J. McCarron to Amari Cooper in the fourth quarter of Alabama's SEC championship game win over the University of Georgia. In the number three spot, we'll go 2015. Look, this may be my favorite group of all the six. When you talk about Calvin Ridley or Darius Stewart at the top of that 2015 rotation, similar to 2011 offensively Alabama was in that you had Derrick Henry instead of Trent Richardson as the focal point of that offense. But Ridley and Stewart were legit dudes on the outside. And you also had O.J. Howard at the tight end position. Ridley in 2015, 89 catches, 1,045 yards, and seven touchdowns. Not bad for a true freshman. Our Darius Stewart also with 63 catches for 700 yards and four scores. Richard Mullaney coming in as the grad transfer, the third receiver, in 2015, 38 catches for 390 yards and five touchdowns of his own. He also had some future starters in that rotation, and Robert Foster, Cam Sims. And really, when you talk about those two guys, back in 2015, I wasn't entirely sure that one or both would still be in the program a couple of years later, but they were, and they were certainly big pieces to that 2017 offense that we'll talk about, well, we'll talk about it coming up next because in the two spot, we do have the 2017 wide receiver room. Depth of talent-wise, it's going to be really hard to beat this group because, again, you're talking about Ridley, Sims, and Foster as your top three guys for much of that season, if not all of that season. But then you came with the freshmen, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs III, Devontae Smith. So you add it up, and you're talking about six guys who have played in the National Football League, including four who were first-round picks. And 
even with all that firepower at wide receiver, that 2017 offense was geared more to the run with Jalen in his second year as the starter at quarterback. And as we know, though, when Alabama needed it in the second half against Georgia in the national championship game in January of 2018, it was Tua and actually a good bit of the freshman skill guys who got the job done in the comeback win over the Bulldogs, not just at the wide receiver position, but Najee Harris was a big part of that comeback in the second half. Alex Leatherwood came on at left tackle as a true freshman after Jonah Williams went down early in the third quarter of that game. So when you talk about production, it was very much in the corner of Calvin Ridley for the season. Calvin Ridley was the only player for Alabama in 2017 who had more than 17 receptions. Ridley had 63 catches. Those were 46 more than his closest competitor, and that wasn't even a wide receiver. That was running back Bo Scarborough. Judy, Sims, and Foster all had 14 catches in 2017. Half of Ruggs's 12 catches in 2017 went for touchdowns. So again, you still were in an offense that was as much run heavy as it was anything else, especially with Jalen Hurts at quarterback. The talent was unmatched in terms of depth, as we talked about earlier, but just in terms of numbers, too much for this group to overcome the group we're going to talk about next. And in that number one spot, the 2020 wide receiver core for Alabama. Devontae Smith wins the Heisman Trophy. And again, this was a 13-game season. So anytime we talk about 2020 groups in this series, we have to understand we're talking about 13 games. And from that perspective, through that lens, absolutely obscene Devontae Smith's 2020 numbers. 117 catches, 1,856 yards, and 23 touchdowns didn't even finish the national championship game win over Ohio State because of that hand injury. John Mechie overshadowed because of Devontae's historic season. 55 catches for 916 yards and six touchdowns. That's number one receiver production, but Devontae was just so, so over the top with his play Jalen Waddell in just six games because of course he had the injury against Tennessee at midseason that cost him essentially half of that 2020 campaign but Jalen in six games not even six full games really five games because the injury occurred against Tennessee as we recall on the opening kickoff in Knoxville so really five games for Jalen Waddell he appeared in six 28 catches for 591 yards and four touchdowns. And at the time of his injury, it was probably Jalen Waddell that we were talking about in relation to a Heisman candidacy as much as anyone else for that Alabama team. More than Mac Jones and then perhaps even more than Devontae Smith. Devontae, though, as we know, went absolutely nuts over the second half of that season and took home the hardware. Slade Bolden in 2020, 24 catches for 270 yards and a touchdown. You also have to consider the impact of Waddle and Devontae Smith in the return game. As you'll recall, Smith had the punt return for a touchdown among his efforts in that area of the game. Hell, Devontae Smith covering punts. What about Devontae as a gunner? 
covering punts for Alabama. He was amazing in that role. Had a big coverage against Florida late in the SEC championship game in 2020 that all but ended the Gators' hopes when they were pinned deep on their own end. So this is the way it breaks down for yours truly as far as wide receiver rooms for now Alabama national championship teams under Nick Saban. Six, I got 2011. Five, I've got 2009. Four, I went 2012. Three, the sentimental favorite for yours truly because I love the physicality of Ardarius Stewart, Calvin Ridley, and those cats. Uh, 2015 in that three spot. Second, I went 2017, really unsurpassed when you talk about just depth of talent. And then one, I went 2020 with Devontae Smith. John Mechie, Jalen Waddell, some Slade Bolden sprinkled in there in the top spot as well. What about non-national championship teams under Nick Saban, you ask? Well, let's run through them. 2007, DJ Hall, Keith Brown, Matt Cadell. Look, whatever you think of DJ Hall, as I've said many times before, both here on the Bama Online Podcast and elsewhere, The dude put up numbers. I'm talking top five in program history type numbers for DJ Hall, the Fort Walton Beach product, DJ Hall. In 2007, a tumultuous season, to say the least, for DJ on his way out the door. Still had 67 catches for 1,005 yards and six touchdowns. Now, a lot of folks, a lot of Alabama fans, unfortunately, will remember the less than sort of illustrious way in which he went out that season what was it the first half suspension in the upset loss to Louisiana Monroe he also had a drop against Auburn in the Iron Bowl down on the plains that ended up going for an interception for the Tigers but just in terms of numbers DJ all can go with just about anyone who played the wide receiver position at Alabama, and a lot of Alabama fans have a soft spot for DJ because he absolutely murderized the Tennessee Vols. Also on that 2017 2007 team, uh, Keith Brown, 22 catches, 336 for five touchdowns. Matt Cadell, 40 catches, 475 yards, and two touchdowns, including that game winner against Arkansas in Tuscaloosa that helped spark uh, an unbeaten stretch there for Alabama, or a solid stretch at least, to get Nick Saban's first season at the capstone underway. Nikita Stover also a part of that 2007 rotation as well. 2008, Julio is a true freshman, goes for 58 catches for 924 yards and four touchdowns. Not a lot of wide receiver production beyond Julio in 2008. Mike McCoy likely next up, but it was Nick Walker, a tight end, who actually ranked second in receiving to Julio back in 2008. That was a Glenn Coffey-led offense, as we know. 2010, Julio with a big third and final season for the Crimson Tide. 1,133 yards and seven touchdown catches. Marquise Mays and Darius Hanks combined for more than 1,000 receiving yards in 2010. And again, one of the great mysteries of the Nick Saban era was that 2010 team's inability to really establish a strong running game despite having Mark Ingram and Trent Richardson and Eddie Lacy back in 2010. 2013, Amari Cooper had a season similar to Julio's sophomore year 
in that it wasn't what I would call a slump because Amari had 736 receiving yards and four touchdowns, but it was a year that was sandwiched between Cooper's most productive seasons at Alabama. Norwood, Kevin Norwood, actually led Alabama touchdown receptions in 2013 with seven. You had DeAndre White, Christian Jones with solid seasons back in 2013. 2014, absolute monster year for Amari in year one under Lane Kiffin as the offensive coordinator at Alabama. 1,727 receiving yards, 16 touchdown grabs for Amari. DeAndre White that season, the only other Alabama player with more than 20 receptions, finishing with 40 grabs for 504 yards and four touchdowns. 2016, you had that Ardarius Stewart and Calvin Ridley combination once again. They combined for more than 1,600 receiving yards. That was an offense that, similar to really the one before it, just in a different way, wore people out on the ground in year one of Jalen Hurts behind center. You had Garrick Dieter as a grad transfer in the slot. You know, Trayvon Diggs, before he became the all-pro corner for the Dallas Cowboys, was a wide receiver for Alabama back in 2016 before making the move over to cornerback. Now, we talked about unparalleled talent at the position for 2017. You could kind of make that same argument for a couple of these uh, units, these rooms that we'll talk about here down the finish. 2018, you had Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs III, Jalen Waddell as a true freshman, and Devontae Smith. And they all caught more than 40 passes and each averaged more than 16 yards per catch in Tua Tonga-Vailoa's first season as the starting quarterback at Alabama. And you also had Irv Smith Jr. at tight end with a big year in 2018. That 2018 SEC Championship game, Waddle with some big plays early and late uh, as a true freshman. 2019, you had two 1,000-yard guys in Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy, and that was too, like 2020, 13-game uh, season because Alabama didn't advance to the SEC Championship game or the college football playoff. But Smith Judy, Ruggs, and Waddle combined for 37 touchdown catches. Four guys for 37 touchdown catches back in 2019. And more than a little of that came without Tua because of the injuries, although it turned out to be okay. And we also would go on to learn that his backup that season, Mac Jones would be just fine a season later in 2020. As for 2021, well, of course, Jamison Williams coming in from Ohio State as a one-and-done transfer joined John Mechie. Both those guys go over 1,000 yards, and neither one of them were able to finish the 15-game season. Williams with an amazing 19.9 yards per catch especially amazing when you consider a guy had 79 catches. This isn't a guy who had 26 catches and averaged 20 yards per catch. He had 79 catches and still averaged right at 20 yards per grab. Very impressive. Mechie with 96 catches on the season in 2021. Slade Bolden, 42 catches for 408 yards. And when you consider it from that perspective, probably a pretty good year for Slade Bolden to go out on. So there you go. There's a look at your wide receiver rooms for national championship teams in the Nick Saban era at the University of Alabama. We ranked them 6-1. to We gave you some insight on non-national championship wide receiver rooms. 
It's been a lot of fun. I'm enjoying the series. I don't know about you. Tell me what you think. Am I on it? Am I way off my rocker? Did I start maybe imbibing a little too early on Super Bowl Sunday? Yeah, we're open to all the suggestions and comments right here on the Bama Online Podcast. Hope you have a great rest of your Sunday. enjoyable Super Bowl Sunday. I hope you got the spread going. I've got the spaghetti sauce going with, don't ask me why. I know it doesn't make sense from a theme perspective. The games in LA, you know, Southern California, and I'm still doing kind of this New York vibe with the uh, big spaghetti dinner. Just kind of feels like a spaghetti Super Sunday to me. And that's what we're going with. Little spaghetti, little French bread, you know, little salad, Just keep it simple and enjoy the game. Should be a fun one. Looking forward to it. That's going to do it for the Bama Online Podcast. Again, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, we would certainly appreciate you doing so wherever you consume podcasts. You're going to find the Bama Online Podcast. And also, if you'd leave us a rating and a review while you're there, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Thanks again. And Travis Schreier reminding you, Keep it locked to BamaOnline.com and right here to the Bama Online Podcast. So long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.